So w- what they ended up doing was creating a new category of when a supply is connected with Australia rather than lowering the low value threshold for taxable importations. You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, a podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 194 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. As you know, taxable importations only cover goods worth more than $1,000. Until 1st of July 2018, when you imported goods worth less than $1,000, there was no customs duty and no GST to pay. And nothing has changed for customs duty in that respect, but the GST treatment of these low-value good imports changed as of 1st of July 2018 when you import these goods for private use. In this episode, Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne will tell you how this changed and what this means for you. So one of the uh, exemptions that you mentioned was when the goods, when the importation, the, the customs value of the importation is below $1,000. And that was, you know, a common exemption. And it meant that before 1st of July 2018, when some new rules were were brought in, that often as a a consumer, you could buy from an overseas supplier something that cost less than $1,000 and no GST would be payable because it wouldn't be a taxable importation because if the consignment customs value of the consignment was under $1,000, that's not a taxable importation. And it wouldn't be a taxable supply if you as the recipient rather than the supplier was the importer. And that didn't mean that as the customer, you, you know, you were responsible for arranging, you know, engaging a, a customs broker and, you know, dealing with customs authorities, that was sort of all done on, on your behalf, but it was still officially the recipient, the customer was the importer, and that meant that it wasn't connected with Australia under how the old rules worked, which meant in turn that it wasn't a, a taxable supply. So neither a taxable supply nor a taxable importation, no GST was payable. And, and of course, that... Uh, you know, didn't make uh, you know, Jerry Harvey and other Australian retailers very happy. And so that's why these amendments were made to extend GST to goods under $1,000 made to Australian consumers. And that's what I thought we would talk about today. This rule, as it existed until the 1st of July 2018, this exemption, basically made any supplier from overseas automatically cheaper by 10%. Yeah, that's right. Or made Australian suppliers more expensive by 10% just due to tax. Yeah, so you can appreciate, you know, their concern that, you know, it's harder for them to compete. Of course, there were other factors that go into, you know, overseas suppliers being more competitive in terms of price, but GST was definitely one of those factors. In 2000, when the GST Act was born, it made sense because A, we didn't have online sales yet to the extent we have them now. Yeah, certainly far less than we do now. Exactly. And also in 2000, I mean, 
pretty much 20 years ago when they were designing the GST Act. We didn't have the software yet to make it worthwhile tracking supplies under $1,000. And so it made sense at the time to provide this exemption. But now online sales have grown so much and we probably are a lot more tech savvy and have a lot more technology to go down into the lower value imports. So what they ended up doing was creating a new category of, you know, when a supply is connected with Australia. So they've, you know, goods of less than $1,000 are now potentially taxable supplies. They've gone down that route rather than the lowering the low value threshold for taxable importations because that the costs of doing that, or at least the costs for government, not necessarily the costs for these vendors, was higher and according to you know some modeling that was done that the costs would of removing the exemption or the taking the threshold down to nil would exceed the revenue that was that was collected. Yes, and that's a very good point. They basically didn't amend the system we have. They left the $1,000 threshold as it is and left that system running as it is. They basically just plugged another system so to, onto the side that now covers the goods below $1,000. Yeah, and, and where things can start to get a bit more complicated is when you are dealing with interactions between these two systems, it's not always clear which set of rules apply. Should, you know, do the taxable importation rules apply or the taxable supply rules apply? And that's where things can get a little more complicated. And you know, we'll go through, discuss that and go through some examples you know, once we've covered up the more basic topics. So, well, before we, we jump in, there's just, you know, one more point I, I wanted to mention is that what we're talking about here is when a supply is connected with Australia, which is, of course, you know, one of the elements of the indirect tax zone. You know, that when I say Australia, that's what I'm referring to. That's just one of the elements of a taxable supply. You know, the vendor still needs to consider all the other elements. So, for example, if, you know, they're an overseas vendor selling to Australian consumers, but the total, you know, of their supplies in a year is only $20,000, you know, below under 75,000, then it doesn't really matter if it's connected with Australia or not. They they don't need to register. Uh, and if they're not registered, you know, it's not a taxable supply, that they don't have to pay GST. I see. So that means these new rules for the low-value goods only apply to suppliers that have more than $75,000 in anticipated turnover. Yeah. Or if they make a supply through an electronic distribution platform, so like a, an Etsy or, or an Amazon like that, then it will still be subject to GST. I see. So that's basically the next set of rules that we will discuss in the next episode when we cover the electron, or I don't know whether it's the next episode or the episode after. Yeah, the episode after. I thought that let, for today, let's pretend that those EDP and redeliverer rules don't exist, just to keep the focus on how these new rules apply in, in an ordinary vanilla case of a, you know a vendor selling directly to a consumer, and it'll help keep things simpler, and then we can 
you know, the episode after next, we can look at how that changes a bit if they, you know, sell via an Etsy or something, something like that. Okay, so putting the electronic distribution platforms aside, the one basic rule is that a supplier of low-value goods only needs to register in Australia for GST if they have more than 75,000 expected turnover or actual turnover, current turnover. That's right. You know, just like any local supplier, they are subject to, you know, the same registration threshold. And it's a worldwide turnover. So it's not just Australian turnover. No, it's what counts towards the GST turnover threshold is well, the supplies have to be connected with Australia. Input tax supplies are excluded. It's worked out in the same way as, as it is for Australian-based businesses. So if an overseas supplier makes a million-dollar turnover a year but only distributes $10,000 of goods to Australia in a year, then they wouldn't have to register for GST in Australia. But if they supply more than $75,000 of goods to Australia, then they would have to register for GST. Yes, that's right. And how do they work this out? I'm just thinking of a small supplier somewhere in the backwaters of Slovenia or Alaska. I don't think it would enter their mind in the slightest that they might have to register for GST. And even if they do realize that they need to, how would they do that? You might have language barriers there, somebody supplying goods being based in Kazakhstan. How would they know what to do? I think, yeah, the, the language barrier is a good point. The the ATO, you know, when they rolled, rolled this out and, you know, were trying to work with suppliers around the world, they put out material in different languages, but you know, I'm not sure that Slovenian was was one of those languages. Though I would say if they, you know, truly are a very small supplier, yeah, if they're making 75000 dollars worth of supplies to Australians, they're probably aware of it because it probably makes up a, a significant portion of, of their supplies. And what happens if they don't register? Because their attitude will be the ATO. <laughs> doesn't affect me in the slightest. I'm far away in the mountain area of Kazakhstan. How can the ATO reach me? This is a very good question. And, you know, when the, the bill was being debated, you know, one of the criticisms was, well, the ATO doesn't have jurisdiction jurisdiction in, in other countries. I mean, the answer is not entirely clear. To some extent, it's that companies will care about their reputation and that you know particularly this is more relevant to larger companies and you know they don't want to be publicly named and, and shamed and you know outed as not complying with you know with the laws of the country. It may be that Australia has entered into agreements with other country to you know you assist us with the collection of our taxes and we'll assist you with the collection of yours and perhaps there'll be times when the ATO will try to rely on those. And Simon, I also think that a small internet trader in the backwaters of Kazakhstan is more likely to use an electronic distribution platform and hence will be caught by those rules. Yeah, I agree. The suppliers that don't use an electronic distribution platform are probably larger and hence are more interested in complying routes and regulations of their um, you know, of a significant market they serve. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I led you astray. The first condition for these low-value good routes 
to apply is that the supplier must have a turnover of more than 75,000 and hence needs to be registered for GST in Australia. Yeah, that's right. And another point is that if we're talking about GST-free or input tax supplies, so, you know, if they're selling a, a wheelchair to Australia that's GST-free under the it was a 38B subdivision or whatever it is, the, the one for, for health products. Yes, yes, I think it's B. Yeah, well, you know, just that's not a taxable supply, just like it wouldn't be for, for a domestic supplier. So the part that's really changed is they've added a new category of when a supply is connected, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that even if it's connected, it might still may not be a taxable supply because of, you know, the, the other elements that need to be satisfied. Yes, and being connected with the ITZ or being connected with Australia is very easy to ascertain with goods because it's basically just any goods that physically pass the um, border, goods that physically come onto Australian soil are connected with Australia? Well, it used to be that it was the supplier that had to bring the the goods in. Now, one of the... So there's three positive requirements and one exclusion to be connected under these new rules. So just briefly, and then we can go in, into a little bit more detail. The three positive requirements are that they have to be low-value goods, which means a customs value of under $1,000 when the... Because if they are over $1,000, then the current system applies. Yes, yeah, absolutely right. Then the next positive limb is that they need to be brought to Australia with the assistance of the supplier. Then third positive is that the recipient is a consumer of the supply. And then there's an exception that we'll, yeah, we'll talk about once we've gone through those three positive limbs. So the first one, under $1,000, and it can be if any of the goods, you know, if multiple goods are being supplied, if any of them have a customs value individually of under $1,000, then effectively you split the transaction in, into two and the ones that are under $1,000 considered to be low value goods and the ones that are over $1,000 are not. Don't you just look at the total consignment because otherwise it gets incredibly Messy. You're right. So this is just at sort of the initial step. You know, question one is it are there any low value goods in the supply? But when we look at the exception, effectively, you know, if the value of the consignment is more than a thousand dollars, then it, it may be a low value good, but it doesn't mean that it's connected with Australia. And then, so the next condition is that the goods have to be brought to Australia with the assistance of the supplier. So I give, there's an example, there's a law companion ruling that the ATO released, 2018-1, is it? Yeah, 2018-1, where they give an example of Australians on holiday in, in Tahiti, and they buy some board shorts from a, a local vendor there. With a large flower pattern? Uh, yes, probably. And, you know, they, on, when they come home, they bring the board shots back with them. Now, in that case, these goods may have been a supply of under $1,000 to an Australian consumer. But, you know, this shop in Tahiti hasn't done anything, you know, to assist bringing the goods back to Australia. They, 
you know, they haven't procured, arranged or facilitated the delivery. And so it's not it's not a supply that's connected with Australia. And so it doesn't fall under the low value goods rules that we are discussing. Exactly right. So it's not enough to merely make the goods available for collection or say, here, you know, here's some the contact details for a transport company. You go ahead and arrange it between yourself and the company where you know, we're not having any involvement. In those situations, that's not being the goods aren't being brought to Australia with the assistance of the supplier. And that needs to happen for the you know, for that second condition to be met. Now the third condition is that it, the goods have to be made the recipient of of the supply is a consumer of the supply. And so what that means is that they're not registered for GST, or if they are registered, that they didn't acquire the goods for their enterprise. So effectively, they can't claim any input tax credits on the supply. So you just went through the three criteria to determine whether a supply is connected with Australia, meaning the indirect tax zone. And the, you, you listed three criteria. The second one was that the supplier brings the goods into Australia. The third one was that the recipient must acquire those goods for their business. So it can't be... No, that they mustn't acquire the goods for, the, for their business. Yeah, they have to acquire it for private reasons. I see. Okay, good. Sorry about that. And what was the first again? That the goods are under have the customs value of under a thousand. Oh yeah, under thousand dollars. That's worked out at the time that the consideration is set. That you know the price is set, and it can lead to um, complexity if you're dealing with goods that have a customs value in Australian dollars of close to that thousand dollar mark. You know, between that point in time when the price is agreed and the point in time when it enters Australia, it goes, you know, first it's above and then it's below or vice versa. That, that can add a bit of complexity there. So these new rules basically bolt onto our GST system by providing a new definition of being connected with Australia. And this connection with Australia happens if the, the goods are below $1,000, so the supplier brings the goods into Australia and the goods are for private consumption. Yeah, and now, as you can imagine, it's not always easy for a, a supplier to know their customer, what are they using, the are they registered for GST or not in, in Australia? If they are registered, are they using it buying you know, the thing I'm selling for their business or are they using, you know, using it for private purposes? Yeah, you know, how, how can they really know that? So what the laws do is they bring in a, like a, a safe harbour protection for these suppliers and it says that if the recipient has disclosed their ABN and the ATO's view is that the supplier should still be checking that the ABN is valid or, you know maybe they go visit or use the ABN lookup tool or you know they can check that not an ABN that's been given by another customer before you know there's no duplicates sorry I've heard of Bunnings ABN being you know the most quoted ABN in the country obviously fraudulently in all cases other than Bunnings, and that the recipient you know, provides a, you know, a declaration saying that they're registered for GST, 
Well, in that case, then the supplier, unless they have information to the contrary, then they can reasonably believe that the recipient is not a consumer, you know, and proceed on that basis. So, And then not charge GST. Yeah, exactly. Then then not charge GST. So it's just a protection when, you know, recognising that suppliers don't always know the full story. So those are the three positive limbs, but even if all three are satisfied, it may be that it's even still not connected with Australia. And that's because of a rule that says if the supplier takes reasonable steps to obtain information about whether or not the goods will be a taxable importation and, you know, having taken those steps reasonably believes that they'll be a taxable importation, then the goods are not a taxable supply but because they'll be, the expectation is that they'll be taxed at the border under the, you know, the, the old rules, the taxable importation rules. So there's two steps, or two parts to that. That they need to, t- first they need to take reasonable steps to obtain information, and in most cases, you know, that will be done using what they call the business systems approach. So suppliers that are making, you know, many suppliers that they, they don't, they want to minimise human in- involvement to keep their costs down. So if they set up their their business systems and processes to gather sufficient information about whether or not the goods will be a taxable importation, and that effectively effectively comes down to will the consignment have a customs value of more than $1,000 or less than $1,000? And that in turn, you know, if it's a case of they're selling one good that has a, a value of $100, then yeah, they can know for certain that it's not going to be a taxable importation. If they're selling you know, one good that's $2,000, they can know for certain that it is going to be a taxable importation. But what if you've got, say, four goods of $300 each? Well, whether or not it's a taxable importation depends on are they all being shipped together with a so the consignment value would be above a thousand dollars, or are they being shipped separately? And so the if the suppliers systems can keep track of are uh, they're all in the same warehouse and therefore will put it all together and ship it together, then it's reasonably believed that it will be a, a taxable supply. But if their systems are unable to keep track of that information, they can supplement that this business systems approach with what they call a, a reasonable steps approach. And that's what's reasonable steps really yeah, it depends on the circumstances, but they can make inquiries or whatever it is to, to try to ascertain whether or not it will be, you know, they'll be sent out together and therefore you know, be a taxable importation or, or whether they'll be sent you know, shipped to Australia separately. I just struggle to see companies overseas going through these steps. I was just thinking of a bicycle supplier, somebody who sells bicycles online through their own website worldwide, let's say from Italy. I just struggle to see them going through all this, you know, registering, going through these reasonable steps. And, and I can't see what the ATO can do when they don't. I mean, other options of what they could do, were, I mean, there's potentially they can block the websites of these companies. Are you sure Australia would have the right to block a website of um, 
yeah. of somebody based in Italy? Yes, because they're only blocking Australians for, or people in Australia from accessing the, the website. We're, you know, we can't stop someone in Italy viewing the, the website of this Italian company. I see. So we can't kind of crash their website. We can just block access. Yeah, block block, from block Australian IP addresses. But, you know, there's two, well, probably more, but two problems with that approach that come to mind. The first one is VPN. Exactly right. Yes, you, uh, you, you read my mind. And the other is that apparently the IPN can be often shared between different websites. And so in blocking this Italian company's IPN from being accessed from Australia, you know, it might be that you've now blocked a few other websites of companies that, you know, have been completely compliant and you're, you're punishing those as well. But it was, yeah, I don't believe they've they've used that power, but it, you know, was a power that was yeah, talked about as being, you know, one possible means of ensuring compliance. But in terms of it would, I think these, these rules require... Yeah, an initial these systems to be properly set up, but which could be quite costly. But once they are set up, then in most cases, I think they'll operate quite smoothly with very little need for any human intervention. And and so it's more of a, a once-off initial cost rather than a significant ongoing cost. So these overseas suppliers register in the normal way. It's the Australian business register, isn't it, where we register for GST. But the, the overseas suppliers basically register through the same system like any supplier in Australia. Yes, potentially, or they have another option that they've introduced what they call a simpler GST registration system that the pros are that it's it's easier to register, that you have fewer proof of ID documents, for example, need to be supplied. There is less information that needs to be supplied on the activity statements, but the disadvantage is that they can't claim input tax credits. So if they're not buying anything from Australian businesses in order to to make their supplies, then that's not you know, much of a disadvantage. But if there are acquiring you know, goods or services from registered businesses in Australia, then if they want to claim input tax credits for the GST that they've been charged, then they need to have a, a full GST registration. And an Australian supplier then basically would get all their GST back, they paid, they would get all their input tax credits back if they sourced their material from within Australia and supplied, made the sale within Australia, where somebody overseas who sources their material from another country, etc., and then sells it in Australia, might not get their um, GST back that they paid on their material. I think that's the point I'm trying yeah, to make. Yeah, potentially not. So coming back to what we were talking about, if a supplier, whether it's through you know, their automatic business systems or you know whether it's through taking additional steps beyond that. So they've taken those reasonable steps to obtain the information about how the, the goods will be will be shipped to Australia. And then based on that the information that they've gathered, if they reasonably believe that it will be a taxable importation, you know, it's a genuine belief 
that a reasonable person would hold. Do you mean taxable importation or taxable supply? You mean taxable supply, don't you? No, no, I meant taxable importation. So if they reasonably believe, based you know, on the information that they've gathered, that it will be a taxable importation, then it won't be connected with Australia and therefore it won't be a taxable supply. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. There's an example in the in that law companion ruling, just to illustrate, it talks about a New Zealand company that sells sporting goods. And there's a consumer in Australia that's purchased two cricket bats that each have a customs value of $600. And so this company, the example says that their business systems indicate that each of the cricket bats are in stock in the warehouse and that their standard business processes are to consolidate orders in their warehouse if all of the items are in stock. Therefore, they expect that the goods will be packaged together, sent in one consignment, it's over $1,000. They reasonably expect it will be a taxable importation, therefore it's not not a taxable supply. That can really get complicated then if they first thought, yes, they have both in stock, and then they realize actually cricket bat A is out of stock, so we first send cricket bat B and we send A later. Absolutely then you right. Suddenly, you suddenly slip from taxable importation to taxable supply, and they might not realize that. Yes, absolutely. That's a very good point. There's another example later in the ruling of this sporting company that sold the cricket bats where it's sort of it's a continuation of that previous example and they say that after the transaction's finalised, they realise that one of the two bats they have in stock is damaged and so they decide to send the one that they have out then and you know, order in a, a replacement for, for the other one and send that second one to the customer once they've received it. And so, you know, they took reasonable steps. They, having taken those steps, they reasonably believed that it would be a taxable importation, but it turned out that it wasn't because each of those two consignments had a taxable value of under $1,000. And what happens in a case like that is that it's not a taxable supply because they met those conditions. They did truly reasonably believe It's not a taxable importation because it's under $1,000. And so there's no GST on the that gets applied at any stage. Seriously? So that's a huge back door. It is. So then you just kind of always just have a bad stock management system. And unfortunately, these errors occur on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, there's two. If it happens too often, then the ATO is either they're going to say that you know, you didn't truly take reasonable steps and, you know, you didn't satisfy the conditions, you applied them incorrectly and therefore it is a taxable supply hand over one-eleventh of the, the consideration. Or they could even go a step further and say, we think you've actively taken steps to... Evade tax. Yeah, to evade tax. And, you know, they could try to apply the, the anti-avoidance laws. Yeah, if, if it's happening too often, then uh, I think the you know, questions will be asked. Simon, I don't know whether I'm jumping ahead, but the GST deferral scheme doesn't apply to low-value goods, correct? So the GST deferral scheme doesn't apply to taxable supplies. It can only apply to taxable importations, correct? Absolutely right. And, and the reason for that 
is that there's really no need for a deferral scheme because unlike a taxable importation, you pay GST on a taxable supply when you lodge your BAS. And at that same point in time is when you claim, if you're entitled to, you, you claim input tax credits. And so there's no timing disadvantage and hence no need for a, a deferred GST scheme on, on taxable supplies. Um, another question, sorry. Or maybe I should first let you go ahead. You still have more points, don't you? Well, I just wanted to discuss the opposite scenario. So if they expect that it's a taxable supply and it is a taxable supply, well, that's straightforward. If they expect it's a taxable importation and, and it is a taxable importation, again, that's straightforward. Now, we talked about what happens if they thought it would be a taxable importation, but they're wrong. But what about a situation where they didn't think it would be a taxable importation and therefore they treated it as a taxable supply and, and charged GST, but it ended up being a taxable importation? In that case, you've got the potential for a double taxation charged on the supply and then charged at the border. And so there's there's a mechanism for avoiding that double taxation, and that is that if the supplier provides notification to, to customs, and, and this is all done via the, the import declaration or, or an amendment to the, the import declaration, if they say, hey, you know, this is we've treated this as a taxable supply and they you know give the you know they say these are the goods that we've applied GST to and this is our GST registration so an ABN in the case of a a normal full registration and then that sort of alerts customs to switch off the taxable importation rules so that you know they say oh okay well GST has already been been charged we won't charge it a second time Notification needs to be given in time. And there's uh, an example of in the ruling. Sorry, I'm just trying to find it. printed off a copy of the ruling, but I've... Yeah, okay. So there's an example just to illustrate that point, where they say, they give an example of a bridal store overseas that you know, an Australian buys four bridesmaid dresses that each have a customer's value of $300, and one wedding dress with a customs value of $1,500. So the bridal store doesn't charge GST on the wedding dress because that's not a low-value good. It's yeah, $1,500. But they treat the four bridesmaid dresses as a taxable supply because they're not sure how it will be shipped to Australia. And if you you know if you're not sure if your you know business systems aren't enough to to establish a reasonable belief, you don't know, then you should go ahead and, and charge GST. So this store charges GST on the four bridesmaid dresses. But then it later turns out that it was all shipped together in one consignment, and therefore it's a taxable importation. And so what they do is they input that information into the, the import declaration uh, on behalf of, of the customer. You know, they do it in the improved form and that the importation becomes a, a non-taxable importation. Well, to the extent that the that it's a taxable supply under this new subdivision. So the four bridesmaids dresses becomes a non-taxable importation. No GST gets charged at customs, but GST still gets charged on the, the bridal dress because this bridal store didn't charge GST 
on the sale, and therefore so you know, they're one that gets collected at customs. Yeah, so that's the ideal situation if you have a potential double taxation scenario that could arise. If, however, you don't meet those notification requirements, the last resort is that the recipient seeks a refund of GST from the supplier. So they you know, they give the supplier a declaration that says that the goods were a taxable importation. They say, hey, yeah, I had to pay GST. Again, I shouldn't have. Please reimburse me. And if the, you know, the supplier does, in fact, reimburse them, then it's no longer a taxable supply. You know, it might be a situation that, let's say, it's these low-value goods, tobacco and alcohol, can never be a low-value good, even if they're less than $1,000. And maybe the supplier forgot about, you know, wasn't aware of that rule and they went ahead and charged GST and, you know, they find out afterwards. And so it's situations where there's potentially double taxation. This is how it's avoided. systems we have discussed so far, taxable importations and taxable supply, they don't apply to tobacco and they don't apply to alcoholic beverages, correct? Yeah, they can never be, regardless of their value, they can never be a low value good. Oh, I see. Okay, so the taxable importation rules, my goods do not apply to tobacco and alcoholic beverages. Yes, I think they'll always be taxable importations, but they'll never be a taxable supply under these new rules. Second question, these new rules basically mean that these overseas suppliers that now need to register for GST, they need to have a bank account in Australia because otherwise if the consumer for the um, supply to the overseas bank account, let's say to the Italian or Kazakhstan bank account, And then the supplier has to transfer the GST back to the ATO bank account. You would lose a lot of money in overseas transaction fees. So for that reason, these suppliers probably need a bank account in Australia so that they can take the um, money they receive from suppliers and pay the ATO straight away before the money leaves Australia. Yeah, probably a good idea, though it is possible to pay the ATO from an overseas bank account, you know, with the SWIFT codes and what not, but yeah, probably a good idea. To, yeah, you just lose you know, if the, if foreign transaction fees. Yeah, you know, doing this every quarter or every month, then uh, probably best to set up an Australian account. But I also see an enormous potential for fraud that obviously suppliers charge GST but never pass it on to the ATO. How is the ATO going to get the money that is sitting in a bank account in Kazakhstan? How is the ATO going to access those funds? I think that the focus will sure of the ATO is at first at least on very large suppliers because that's where the, you know the risk to revenue is greatest and smaller suppliers are you know, more likely to avoid detection. You know, the ATO has various means of trying to detect these suppliers, how, you know, how successful it is. Well, actually, we do have some indications of how successful they've been. You know, like any other tax bill, there's at the front of the EM, they talk about the expected impact on revenue and how much money they say they think it will collect. And obviously, you know, when doing that, they make some assumption about, you know, what percentage of suppliers they think will comply. Certainly, when assuming that 
everybody will have 100% compliance. But those assumptions turned out to be quite conservative. And, and in fact, so far, these rules haven't been in place for all that long, but so far they've actually collected, you know, exceeded their forecasts. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, quite okay. considerably. And they've collected, you know, more money than than they thought they would. Because the system has been in place for one full financial year. It started on the 1st of July 2018. Yeah. So we only had one full financial year so far. And in that one year, they exceeded their expectations. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed. because So they must have either been very, very conservative or it works better than than I thought because until you just told me this, I was quite skeptical how this is going to work in practice. So I have a statistic here. They say... In the first nine months, the ATO said they collected $250 million, and that exceeded forecasts by $180 million. Wow. So they only thought that they would exceed – so they only thought they would collect $70 million, which perhaps was a an overly conservative assumption, and I'm not sure what percentage of supplies they thought would comply to reach those figures, but obviously the, you know, more did – And they've collected, well, up until that point, they collected $250 million. I can imagine that their forecasts also go up significantly over the years. Yeah, so it may be in the long run, it's, the predictions are not that wrong. It's just that what's happened is we've got a certain level and it will plateau rather than more and more compliance as each year goes by. But yeah, I'm not sure. Yes, but at least the system seems to work to some extent. They did collect a fair chunk of money. Yeah, but where you have a supplier that's, you know, not so large as to really attract a lot of attention and they purposefully decide not to, to comply with the rules, then it will be challenging, not necessarily impossible, but challenging for the ATO to, to enforce that compliance. this is only for items that are imported for private consumption. So when businesses acquire low-value goods overseas, those low-value goods still come into Australia without GST. Yeah, so I mean there it's it's a whole, these rules that we just talked about, they only apply to supplies made to consumers. When there's supplies made to businesses, it's, yeah, there's maybe there might be a reverse charge that rules that, that can apply. Yeah, the, the foreign flyer doesn't have to lodge basses, but yeah, it's a whole other separate set of rules. The topic will be Netflix tax. Yes, that's right. I'm very curious to hear that. Yeah, in some ways it works similarly to how it does for low value for goods but if yeah there are of course some differences and yeah it'll be good to talk about that next week welcome back so low value good imports are only about b2c but don't affect goods you import for your business From the next episode onwards until the end of the year, we will shift our focus squarely again onto practice management. Yes, we will have a few technical episodes still coming. For example, we still need to finish this series about GST on imports. But the focus will be squarely on how to grow your practice. So to start with, over the next two episodes, episode 195 and 196, 
Alistair Marshall will talk about how to attract more clients and generate more revenue. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.